Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, we evaluate your current state infrastructure and deploy the right technology solution for your future. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business to learn more. Fool and I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. I'm a man of the land, I'm into discipline. Got a Bible in my hand and a beard on my chin. But if I finish all of my chores and you finish thine, then tonight we're gonna party like it's 1699. Now from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. It's like there's somebody sitting back there or something. Tutel Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Happy to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope you are well. If you missed anything in hour number one, check it out on the podcast, the Tutel Nuanas podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts on your favorite podcasting platforms. Just check it out any old time you like. Rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate that. The podcast is available thanks to Blackfoot and Alpine Touch. You want to call 361-3688, the phone number, all guests. Join us via the Brangish Brothers RV phone line. Uh, Colton, we got a bunch of stuff to go through, but we thought it was worth touching on because we touched on it yesterday just briefly. Um, but Bubba Wallace, who had believed himself to be and and was had and there was an investigation ongoing about the potential of a hate crime involving him as a uh, the only African-American NASCAR driver and a noose that was in his garage at Talladega yesterday has been investigated and found not to be a hate crime, at least against Bubba, because this the noose that was in there, which is was acting as a garage door, uh, you know, pull it, pull it down, you know, rope or, or something like that has been in there for several months, at least according to the FBI investigation. And thus it was not a hate crime against Bubba. 
Is that where, am I getting that about right? Joint statement from U.S. Attorney J.E. Town, as well as FBI Special, Special Agent in Charge, Johnny Sharp Jr. On Monday, 15 FBI Special Agents conducted numerous interviews regarding the situation at Talladega Super Speedway. After a thorough review of the facts and evidence surrounding this event, we have concluded that no federal crime was committed. The FBI learned that garage number four, where the noose was found, was assigned to Bubba Wallace last week. The investigation also revealed evidence, including authentic video confirmed by NASCAR, that the noose found in the garage number four was in the garage as early as October 2019. Although the noose is now known to have been in the garage number four in 2019, nobody could have known Mr. Wallace would be assigned to garage number four last week. The decision not to pursue federal charges is proper after reviewing all available facts and all applicable federal laws. We offer our thanks to NASCAR, Mr. Wallace, and everybody who cooperated with this investigation. Two quick thoughts on that. I know we're going to go through this other stuff. The first one is that that makes me really happy. <laughs> you know, like I, to me, the the last thing that we need right now is to have some overt act like that, you know, against this guy, especially in there, especially in a NASCAR, you know, setting uh, with everything that has been that been going on in this country, and it, you know, I'm happy that that actually turns out to be the case. I think a lot of people feel like a certain hollowing out of the authenticity of what happened yesterday, and the, the I think all 39 drivers walking with Bubba Wallace, you know, his car out to its its location on on the racetrack or in pit row, et cetera, et cetera. That, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like that was very much, like nothing changes to me about that act and that symbolism there for that group of people that were doing that, uh, and I think rightfully doing that. And it has now the added benefit, because this is the thing that was very troublesome to me. If that had been a deliberate act, there's nobody there except for people that are NASCAR people. Right. Right? I mean, I, I guess you could have had like a break-in or something like that, but I mean... Now, if you are Bubba Wallace, you don't have to sit here and and think that, well, somebody in the line behind me that's trying to, you know, act or portend as if they are, you know, with me in this is, in fact, you know, the culprit of this heinous thing. That's not the case. And so I think that's I think that's really good. It is. Uh, yeah, that's I'm, I'm happy about this. It's to tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Coulter is an article in Sports Illustrated offering 10 potential, or not even just potential, but these are being argued for. These are things, according to this article, that are going to happen, that are going to be realities of the future of sports, college and pro, because of COVID-19 and the lost revenue thereof. You go through these and uh, you know with me, yep. set, them, set it up for us, yep. and then I will I will argue whether in, in agreement or disagreement and why on this. I'm, I'm I, I like this. so inter- interrupt me at any time because I'm just going to kind of go through each and every one of these and explain them as best as I can. So okay. Articles by L. John Wertheim in the most recent Sports Illustrated. Um, it, it, the title of the article, if you want to look it up, is called "Game Comma Changed." Okay, so it's just about how all sports are going to change. So okay. number one, say goodbye to non-revenue sports. So basically, what this amounts to is it's not about not making or losing money on women's soccer. You, most schools don't make money on women's That's right. soccer. That's right. It's about the fact that they're going to lose money on football. Every dollar you lose mm-hmm. on football negates the um, ability to fund non-revenue sports, particularly women's sports, but that's actually ironically going to have a bigger impact on men's sports because if you continue to offer football, but you're not making as, enough, as much money on football, 
to then maintain your 85 full scholarships for FBS and 63 full scholarships at the FCS level. So you the must, men's sports. For the, that's a man. That's a, that's a man. Everybody that's playing college football is a man. You have to then offset it with Title Nine. Mm-hmm. So then, therefore, when you're cutting non-revenue sports, you're actually going to cut men's non-revenue sports, mm-hmm. not women's, because you have to maintain the investment to maintain Title Nine equality. So we've already seen this in the MAC. The MAC, several MAC teams have cut men's tennis and men's soccer programs. I think Miami of Ohio, excuse me, cut their men's soccer program. But this actually already hit the Big Sky Conference today. Southern Utah cut men's and women's tennis today. Uh, the only thing that I I have with this is I, I think this is going to happen. Okay. I, I agree with this one. The thing that, that I want to, that I would want to know if, 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 and when sports are cut is we continue to operate. And I'm very cynical about this at this point in my life, but under this auspices of purported student athlete and athletics at university as being extracurricular activities that are on the same footing according to the institution as things like band you know not the not the academic pursuit of music not getting a degree in music but the actual participation in band i was in communications and like radio and so forth when i was in college all extracurricular stuff, okay? It's all a cost. It's a, quote, net loss to the university. The reason they have it, and the reason, by the way, that universities are supposed to exist is not to make money. Right. They are supposed to be there to educate the students that come through there. Right. Part of that education, uh, you know, again, put on your blinders, is is athletics, is participating. In and by the way, those are great activities Right. To, to participate in it just has turned into a multi-billion dollar industry but the point being is if you're cutting these sports if it's financial explicitly and only because it's it's an academic or an athletic loss i find that i find that untoward i don't like that at all and i'm sure that that's what's going to happen if it is because the university as a whole has to figure out how are we going to stay soluble because of loss of revenue from students not coming to campus from you know all, all the other myriad of things that could result in a loss of of finances because of covid and that ca- that is a casualty along with others that have nothing to do with athletics then that would make sense to me obviously what you say with football being the centerpiece in all this financially is 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 true but yeah this this is going to be a reality so take ohio state for example yeah. ohio state's football program profited profited 58 million dollars in 2019 Ohio State, I believe Ohio State and Stanford are the only two athletic departments in the country that offer all 32 varsity sports that are yeah. available. Yeah. Stanford does it not as much because they make so much money, but because they want to have the diversity of the student body like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Stanford has such high academic standards and such low acceptance rate and also such a high endowment exactly so they want to, so but they want to have they want to have the best of the best no matter what you right. are the best at right because if you can qualify academically but then you're also a person who's a really good swimmer or a really good rower they want you Absolutely. and and um so schools like that though the, the, where this is gonna the, the breaking point of this whole thing it doesn't. Ohio State, even if they're playing games in front of an empty stadium, even though they have what the second biggest stadium in all of college football, even if they're getting zero dollars at the gate, that's still a very minimal loss compared to the amount of money that they're actually going to make on football. Because it's a fifty-eight million dollar profit, they can still they could lose ten million at the gate and still be making fifty million dollars. Of course, so they can still afford all the sports. The breaking point of this is going to be for schools like I'm, I'm trying to think of. Uh, uh, like a big ten, all the Big Ten schools have so much money, but 
Vanderbilt. Consider, well, consider a Big Ten school like a Vanderbilt's a good example, or, or a, a big, a, you know, an SEC school that doesn't have that crazy amount of football money. Well, you reach the breaking point though. Say half the Big Ten schools or half the SEC schools can't afford men's soccer because of the impact of football. Well, then all of the men's soccer is just going to go away because then you're you're not going to reinvest in something that's a non-revenue. You'll just reinvest in football. Yeah, you'll reinvest in you know whatever it might be, and so that's going to be the breaking point. It's also going to be really. It's going to be so tough on the FCS schools because right now, like schools like Montana, Montana State, they offer the maximum number of women's sports that they possibly can because it's vibrant for the campus community, but also just because of Title IX. And so when you're trying to balance that while also you are being impacted severely, you're not making millions of dollars in profit off of football already. That's where it's going to get tenuous. And I think that we're going to see a lot of sports programs, particularly, I mean, it all makes me sad, but. Track and field is really in trouble right now mm-hmm. because track and field, you can eliminate programs without eliminating a lot of scholarships because there's not very many scholarships to be had. All right. What's next? Number two, haircuts for coaches. The more profit you make off of free labor, which is what high-level college football coaches do, the more money you're going to get paid. If you're not making as much money, you can expect a salary cut. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, what, what do the articles say? I think I think. 36 of the 50 states in America, the highest paid public employees, the football coach, Mm -hmm. the head football coach of one of the state institutions. And a lot of times a sizable percentage of the top 10 highest paid state employees are either football or men's basketball coaches. When you're talking about states like Alabama, where you have multiple colleges with multiple high paid coaches, these guys are going to be just fine. You know, Nick Saban's not going to be standing in the welfare line. If he has to take a 20% pay cut, because he's still going to be making $6 million. But, it is something that I think we can expect. And I don't know necessarily know if that's a bad thing. I think it is. I mean, I, on one hand, I understand the amount of, I mean, like Nick Saban at Alabama, he is the CEO of a, of a corporation. They make a ton of money. Yeah. So he deserves to be compensated for that on a certain level. But also the fact that he's operating with free labor. To me, there's just a breaking point of it. Do I think Nick Saban's worth a million or even $2 million? Absolutely. Do I think he's worth $8.9 million? I'm not really sure. Oh, oh I disagree. He's worth $50 million. Oh, I mean, in terms of what money he's bringing yes. into your state, yes. no question. I just, yes. all I'm saying is that if the guys, if everybody has to take a 10 or 20% pay cut, I'm not crying for any of these guys. I'm not either. Here's the thing. I'm all for making as much money as you can. Uh, it, you know, I, I guess within the bounds of like laws and so forth. But I'm more for equality, not 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 like I'm not talking about like you know steal from the rich, give to the poor. But what I am talking about is if you got a bunch of people who are doing the quote work, and 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 one or five or ten people are making a boatload of cash off of them, then there there needs to be a uh, a reassessment of how this is taking place. Okay, not a reallocation of money. There's not 20%, by the way, of going from Nick Saban into the pockets of the players, nor necessarily is that the way that it should be, but it just means that the system is flawed, severely flawed. Okay, yeah, I agree with that, by the way. I think that is going to happen, and I agree with you that that is, by and large, a good thing. Next, long-distance calls. They are uh, prognosticating and projecting that to mitigate travel, to keep people safe, and to save resources that play-by-play of many events, particularly multiple-day or multiple-week events like the Olympics, mm. will no longer be in-person calls. I understand from a profitability, business, and health safety standpoint where they're coming from. 
you've done a lot more play-by-play than me. I would I would hate doing play-by-play in front of a monitor because half the point of sitting courtside is beating off the energy of the crowd. Your Michael Ogine backside dunk call is going to be not nearly as good if you're not in a sold-out Washington Grizzlies or a sold-out Dahlberg Arena. That's true, but guess what? Even if you're there, you're not going to be in a sold-out Dahlberg Arena. You know, you're going to be in an empty Dahlberg Arena. Right, but so, at least you can feed off the energy of humans, though. You can. It will be different, but also this is already not unprecedented. They're first of sure. all doing this right now they for the doing. KBO they for baseball. They they're they calling are. it in English from their rooms, and there's a lot more conversation between the the, the the commentators that is going on. A lot less calling of baseball action, which might have to do more with not knowing the baseball that you're watching as much as you would Major League Baseball. But also, I think the NFL Network has done this at times for like some of the Thursday night games. They got Kurt Warner set up remotely, uh, you know, uh, for you know watching it on a monitor here's one thing that people don't really know this isn't the case for radio calls but it is the case for television calls play-by-play commentators watch i'm not going to say more of the tv than they do of the game itself but they watch a lot of what is on television because as you go from cut to cut what you say needs to match what's being seen by the viewer Right. And some of that is directed by the play-by-play player, the play-by-play commentator who who will say, you know, what a great screen or something that sure. was set by X guy. And it's the job of the producer and the camera people to find that guy and get that shot. But also the, the producers will direct, hey, we're going to talk about this now. And you are trying to keep up with the action that the viewer at home is seeing. That said... Yes, when the actual game is happening, you're watching the game. You're not watching the television as such. And it is going to be a major adjustment. And this is going to be a big... This is what I find sort of bizarre. Say you got a a normal two-person booth, a play-by-play person and a color person, okay? Mm -hmm. That's two people and in in big-time telecast they have spotters they have a couple other people that are up there with them but you could have as many as you know five or six people in that in that space doing the work okay you got 50 people though putting this thing on and they all gotta be there i mean all the camera people the production trucks now they're separated okay already but you're talking about in terms of 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 manpower and number of people that are going. Ninety three percent of the crew still has to go to the place to make the game televised. No question, you know, it has to be there. So, you know, it's saving a little bit. It's I don't know how much though. It you know it is, and and maybe some of it is like you said financial. I don't know. Gus, the first meal I had outside my own home following the quarantine was at your house. Brought over a bunch of meat. I brought over my Alpine Touch. But I didn't bring it home. I forgot it at your place. Our first meal was made better, as every meal is made better, by Alpine Touch on basically everything. I put Alpine Touch hickory smoke on my cereal in the morning. <laughs> it's it's reached that level of usage. And the fact that you left it, I knew that you left it at my house. You brought it over left it at my house. And like a real jerk, I said nothing to you because I was like, well, that's mine, dude. That's it. You came to my house, you left it in my house, and I'm eating all of it. We've gotten so far into this Alpine Touch obsession, I think, that I actually think we might be able to host a podcast about all the things that you can make with Alpine Touch. It would be short, 
everything. (laughs) They have a bunch of different varieties of spices, as we know. Uh, They are local from the state of Montana, Shoto, shout out, original Alpine Touch. And it's great when it's not just local, when it's not just supporting the state of Montana, but when it's also actually the best thing that you can get. I mean, when it comes to spices... Uh, it's second to none. So, boys and girls, use your Alpine Touch. Colter, tell them where they can get it. AlpineTouch.com, no matter where you're at in the entire world listening to this, if you are in the United States of America and you make an order of over $50, which, you know, if you get yourself the Grand Slam and maybe some barbecue sauce some sunflower seeds, you're there. Free shipping anywhere in the United States of America right now. Uh, so go to AlpineTouch.com. They're rolling out all their summer Big Mountain flavor packages. The sunflower shoots are really, really good as well. Alpine Touch has got you covered. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about that element of a lot, too, because I think that's an underrated part. We talk about it with attendance all the time, mm. you know, because there is about 150 to 200 people that attend a game. You know, we, we talk about, like, when we're talking about low women's basketball attendance in the Big Sky Conference, when NAU's only averaging 240 fans per game, and there's 125 people that re- are required to be there to put the game on. <laughs> How many people are actually paying to get through the door, yeah. right? Yeah. But, I mean, at a Grizz football game, I mean, what, what would you say? How many people are in and out of the press box that are involved in the production on all the levels of the game, whether it's like for a root sports game? Yeah. Oh. But then you talk about all the guys that work for Grizzly Sports Properties, Learfield, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. administrators, the facilities guys, the guys that have to you know, just unlock the gate, make sure the tunnel's open, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. 175, 200 people? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, oh, if you're talking about it, like employees of the university that are there? I mean, I'm just saying like how many people do we come in contact with in the press box? Oh, yes. Yeah, and that's and that's that's my biggest concern hundred. is you can talk about hey business A and business B have had their tailgate together forever and they've had these season tickets they've had this section and they're friends they're going to hang out okay so now we can come up with an agreement where these people agree that it's okay to congregate with each other even if they're not from the same household those people maybe can sit together in the stands okay how are they going to do that though with the media well you know like, are we going to be sitting in a press box even if it's an empty stadium this fall i just don't know no i mean i i think not like i think there, not there's too. some people that need to be hooked into something you know but i've called a bunch of games at like high school stadiums right and it's if you can find a place to plug in, that's where you are. And sure. You're happy right. to be there. You know what I mean? Now, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to have all the equipment plugged in, like, say, for Riley, Riley Corcoran, right? The voice of the Grizz. He's got his booth that is his booth. Now, if there's only two people in there, it's probably fine. He probably could stay in there. But they could also open the window, run as long of a cable as they need to, and he could sit at a desk on the roof by himself in a corner the view wouldn't be as good maybe you're not covered that could be a problem in inclement weather but it's possible and i know it's possible because boys and girls i done been there yeah no doubt (laughs) getting rained and snowed on all right number four stadiums clean up their acts when i never you don't really think about stuff like this until we're in a situation like we're in right now and then you realize man going to like football college football games is disgusting when you actually really think about it (laughs) I mean, how many people just walk out of the bathroom, didn't wash their hands? How about a concert? Uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, how many people, you know, I don't even know. I don't want to go into the gruesome details That's of it all. But, I mean, if you've ever been to a concert or a football game, you know that most of the dudes in there are not washing their hands. I disagree. I mean, what, regardless, there's going to become a point, I think, where it's required. Like, where you have to, 
you know, you can't stand a lot. It's just like the farmer's market. The hand right? sanitizer button is also the unlock. Right. I mean, <laughs> I really get out of there. I, I really think the I really think that's a reality, though. Right. I mean, just the simplest thing, like when you're at the Paddleheads game and you, you you know you're sitting right in the middle of the section. The guy with the popcorn and the hot dog is over here. You say, hot dog, hot dog, and then everybody passes it down the line. I think that those sorts of things are going to have to be really mitigated. I agree, and you know what? Good. It's good. I know, I know. <laughs> it's it's for the better, certainly. Right. I, all, all I'm saying is that it's going to take logistics and requirements from – all of this is, is, like you said, it's just like planning a college football game at this exact point. It's a, it's a monstrous effort. Okay. And I think that even as simply as redoing the logistics of how you get to the hot dog to the guy in the middle seat is going to be, it's going to be a task. Okay. Number five, muscled up workout space. So I think this is really, this is really interesting because as much as we've evolved in technology, in medical advancements, in fitness and personal training and all that, there's literally no one that has hit the, hit the mark with the perfect workout routine. For no matter what sport you play, you can emphasize this, that, and the other thing. You can get to the point where your workout is 85% efficient for the sport you play. But if you're like in the 80s and 90s in college football, right, everybody prioritized Olympic lifts, bulk, mass, 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 mass. How much can you bench? How much can you squat? Over the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen that, I mean, for example, I remember doing a story on the 1984 Bobcat team that won, the Montana State team that won the Division One AA National Championship. Lonnie Burt, who was their nose tackle, he told me that 50 guys on that team could bench press 400 pounds. Mm. I bet you that there's less than half a dozen guys in the state of Montana that play college football that can bench press 400 pounds right now. Yeah. Yeah. But sure. what we've gotten to now, though, is being way more lean and flexible and, mm. you know, weighing 280. Like a guy like Jesse Sims, for example, you can't be bigger and stronger than that guy, but he could power clean 400 pounds. More than he could probably bench, which is better for your functional strength, but it's still not the best because of the way that your body is composed. If you have too much mass, not enough flexibility, there's all these different factors okay. to go into. All I'm saying is that because no one's been able to go to the gym, everybody's doing functional strength and body weight exercises. In terms of strength, explosiveness, power, not that good. But in terms of health, like, what kind of workouts do you and I want to be doing so we don't hurt ourselves while we're hiking the M? So you don't hurt yourself. Well, while... I thought hiking the M was the workout. Well, that's part of it. But, you know, you want to be able to have the, the the hamstring strength to walk down the M and not slip and break your ankle, yeah. right? You want to be able to ski West Bowl with your shin pressed towards the front of your boot and not catch an edge and tear your ACL. How do you get to that point? Functional strength, body weight, training. So many people have been doing it. Tom Brady's been making fun of everybody forever. Why are you guys lifting weights? All you need is broccoli and rubber bands. That's what he's been telling everybody for, <laughs> for 15 years. Right. And he hasn't got hurt since the first time he got hurt. Right. And so I just wonder, I think it's going to be a, a give and take, right? Are we going to see you know, the, the, uh, you know, the Indomitian Sioux or the Aaron Donald who's just blowing you off the line right out the gates? I don't know, but I also think we could see a lot less lower extremity injuries and things like that because so much of that is because of muscle imbalance. I think if people are way more functionally strong from head to toe, it actually could have a benefit in certain elements of athleticism. 2 tell only one is 1029 ESPN Radio. We got more of these. Started to get into the, some, some of the pro sports stuff right after this. Kurtz Polaris is at 2904 West Broadway in Missoula, Highway 83 in Sealy. The weather is warming up and it's time to get your dirt biking off-roading and on-laking activities to a maximum. That's right, 10 out of 10. Where do you do it? Kurtz Polaris, that's where. 
Beta and Husqvarna dirt bikes are the tops in the industry, brand new. All of them at Curse. You can go see the whole lineup. They are spectacular. You also have the all the great Polaris side-by-sides, as always. The General, the Ranger, the Razor. Anything you need to do, whether it's work or play, off-road, you go to Curse Polaris. And maybe... You need a little leisure time, kick back on the lake and enjoy yourself? Well, you go to Kurtz for that as well. Crest pontoon boats in stock at Kurtz for the season. Some are the way you always envision with Kurtz Polaris online at KurtzPolaris.com. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, we evaluate your current state infrastructure and deploy the right technology solution for your future. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business to learn more. Sports Illustrated is out with a uh, article about the future of sports and how they will change as a result of COVID-19, both uh, from financial realities and from health realities. And Coulter and I have been kind of going through this list. It's pretty interesting what some of the upshots could be and maybe will or won't be. When we've been going through it, we'll keep going through it. Two-Tail New Honors, 1029 ESPN Radio. By the way, if you are... Uh, Wanting to listen live, first of all, good for you. You're on the cutting edge of technology and the absolute front of space and time with us here on this show. But maybe you're not by your radio or your television. Maybe it's easier just with a device. You go to 1029ESPN.com. You listen live on the stream. The stream is available all the time. And it's there thanks to Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. All right, Coulter. We got through five. We got through five of these. We got a couple more to do. Uh, a follow up on the bubble walls, really quickly. Yep. I, I the number one thing that I uh, just disdain about the the society that we live in currently is when we have an inflammatory and or controversial issue that we just decide that we need to draw a line straight down the sand. You better stand on one line or the other. You better yell as loud as you can at the people on the other side of the line, and you better figure out how to hate each other because there's no way anything could be down the middle. There's no way we could ever get along. That's it seems to be the way that we're treating almost every single issue from here on out. So I'm not adding this detail for any other reason but to just state facts as a journalist. Per going through the FBI's documentation as well as the video and the photos, the, the bays at Talladega Speedway, each and every one of them has a pull-down rope that appears to be, via the photos and video, fashioned like a noose. That said, the difference was that Bubba Wallace's was cut off and presented to his team or whoever maybe found it in a different fashion than what the garage was. It wasn't, atta- it was not it was not attached to the deal. But it's okay. worth noting that the rope that hangs down that was the point of controversy all throughout is in each and every garage, mm-hmm. period. Okay. Very good. Number six, L. John Wertheim, the article is Game, comma, Change, and it's all about the ways we can expect sports to change. This is a really interesting one. So much of sports is confidence, getting in a rhythm, being mentally locked in, the greatest athletes are the ones that have the greatest level of 
of consistent ability to rise above the noise. We talked to Montana State sports psychologist last week, and I thought it was a fascinating conversation talking about how to train the brain to be able to do that, to be impervious to pressure, to be mindful, to focus on the here and now. I'm so interested because we've seen some of the great athletes ever, and we've seen athletes of all different levels. When they come back from injury, so often it's not the physical ailment that holds them back. It's the mental part of it. It's the confidence. I mean, Derek Rose, although it was a devastating injury, he battled the mental part of it for years. Because when you have a 45-inch vertical, how you can convince yourself to jump that high off the ground when you've had reconstructive knee surgery? It takes so much mental aptitude yes. to be able to do it. I'm so. Interested. I once got a, 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 a callus on my thumb from Mario Kart, <laughs> and like when I came back, I was like, "Can I, can I do an entire rainbow, you know, loop?" Here? I cannot I believe that you were allowed to play video games when you were a kid. That seems so atypical of your parents. Do you know how old I am? I do. I was in college. I was making my own dang decisions about what video games I was going to play. I guess that's true. Most of us think of N64, Mario Kart as a child game. Mario Kart, the greatest yeah, video game. But you were false. You did ever. not have video games when you were in high school. Oh, get out of yeah, here. Yeah, no. That's why I always was going to your house because we didn't have video games either. So that's no. why we don't go, I'd always go play hoops no, behind no, the No video house. games, no cable. Yeah, no, no cable. No. no. Okay. But back to this, though. I'm so interested to see because now we don't have a variety of guys coming back from injury, actually conventional wisdom would, would you would think that guys would be more fresh and physically more ready to perform. I, there's some guys that maybe are going to be out of shape coming to this, but I think that guys are going to be more fresh physically, more healthy, more rested than ever before because they got a giant break in the middle of the season if you're the NBA, or you got more of an offseason if you're MLB and potentially more of an offseason if right. you're the NFL. But... How long is it going to take guys to shake off the rust? I mean, baseball, more than any other sport, I mean, even some of the greatest players in the history of the game have just been terrible during spring training or been terrible in April. It takes so long to get locked in. How do you get locked in? There might be somebody that comes out the gates and is just locked in from day one, but there also could be guys that experience. I mean, you could realistically have 60 games is is only one-third of a season. There's guys that have great seasons that are in a slump for a third of a season. You could see superstars that are in a slump from start to finish during this thing. I'm just so interested to see how they shake off the rust. And in the NBA perspective, no matter how many jump shots you've been shooting in your backyard or on your sport court or whatever, it ain't the same as in, in an NBA playoff game. No doubt. So what, what sort of rust do those guys have? Because they're the ones that started, stopped, and are going to have to restart. Well, here's the thing. The rust... Is you know whether we're, if we're talking about this from a mental standpoint, I'm not sure. If we're talking about this from a physical standpoint, not a health standpoint, but just the actual doing of the discipline, whatever the sport is. That I'm with you. The one thing here, though, that I don't buy into is the getting into a routine. Really, I, I think routines are just so egregiously overrated. No, in sports. what? Yes, completely. You want to know why you think totally that? You want to know why you think that? I know why I think that. Because you're not a baseball player. No. Yes. First of all, if baseball is the one sport where routine is so very important, then so be it and consider it to be an outlier. It's not, though. It's not. In fact, it's a positive hindrance to actually being good. (laughs) How? Because. What? I will tell you exactly why. You don't think that the mental focus element of sports is important? Did I say that? You don't. I feel like I'm in a... I'm not going to say because I'll get in trouble. That, uh, the you, thing that I okay, said out of my okay, mouth is okay. nothing that you said back you, to you me. Don't, you don't think that routine 
and or the honing of habit or you, you don't think that's important? Like, you don't think the fact that Ray Allen did the same shooting workout before and after every single game for his entire career made him the best shooter in NBA history? No, I think shooting all the time made him the best shooter. I think he would have, could have been even better if he would have done a different routine every once in a while. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's all about your psychology. Because I think for someone like you that has a completely sporadic mind, a routine's terrible because you could never master it. You know what? You never would commit to it. But someone like Ray Allen, who has fanaticism, fanaticism about his craft, though... Let me tell you why. Because you're right. There is some guys that could straight up never have a routine. There's guy, John Daly is a great example. He John Daly <laughs> John Daly with the routine is I have a, so much in common. With I mean, John, John Daly. Daly with the routine though is a disaster, right? He's just got to go grip it and rip it. Whereas like Tiger Woods without a routine is a disaster. Let me tell you why everybody with a routine is a disaster. Because the sport, the thing that you're actually trying to do, the game you're actually trying to play, has no routine in it at all. It is only fraught with peril and malice from every other player that's trying to stop you from doing what it is that you're trying to do and every uncontrollable thing that happens. You're out here, these pitchers, they got to be out there exactly four hours and seven minutes before so they can stretch this hamstring and that hamstring and do this short throw and then this long throw and then take 20 minutes and eat a power bar and drink a Gatorade and then come back out and then what happens? It rains. And now all of a sudden they are completely tortured souls with no way to actually get out there and focus on the strike zone. You know how they could? If they warmed up or ready to go and then whatever. You know, that's just how you do it. You get out there and you deal with it. And what happens when an inning is seven minutes between the time that you were out there the last time because you mowed through them uh, on the uh, you know on the offensive side, and then the next time it's twenty minutes before you get out there. There is no such thing as a routine actually happening in the sport you're trying to accomplish. So why in the world would you do the same thing every single day, every single time, and then be a complete mess if you couldn't do that heading into the game? They, you have to have alternatives, and that includes every aspect of it. You should do things differently every single day. I mean, sure, it's an interesting theory, but also... Just like Tom and his broccoli... So much. I'll take your silence as so, another so, victory. No, so for me. much. So much of the narrative surrounding, especially pro sports, because these guys are getting paid so much money, is the athlete as a commodity, not a human. Therefore, load management has become one of the key storylines. There, there was a breaking point. There was a tipping point in sports where no one knew how much any athlete made until so, one guy from the New York Post started reporting it, and now. One of the leading headlines for literally every pro athlete is when they sign a contract, how much do they make? Sure. So then that then trickles down to how do we maintain our asset not breaking? Because we don't want to pay Mike Trout $37 million a year and not manage the amount he plays. That said, I've thought load management has been the thing that's been overplayed and it's been catered to and enabled because superstars like LeBron James have made it status quo for it to be a necessity but I think that even if guys are complaining about being burned out, the the major the the average major league baseball player is used to and needs 150 plus games to get into the rhythm that he needs to get into. Like in Long Gone Summer, Mark McGuire talks about how you know, he was on pace to hit like 80 home runs, and then he had a horrible August, but he's still getting cheered. Okay. But if you don't have the same duration, I guess what I'm saying is so we're not talking about nothing to do with what I've said. I know, which had nothing to do with what we're talking about right here. Getting into a routine. Okay, but the, we're talking about the mental focus aspect of it. The duration of a season 
and being acclimated to that, whether it's college football, which is now a year-round sport. All I'm saying is there's gonna it's going to take a renewed mental focus for guys to be able to perform adequately, especially college football players, because they don't have the developmental time that they're used to. I absolutely agree with that. No, 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 no. I mean, it, it is going to be a whole different deal when now you're trying to jump into a season sort of cold, so to speak. You're yep. going to have to do a lot to get ready for it physically and mentally. Yes. Yep. Okay. Number seven from uh, the Game Comma Change article by L. John Wertheim in the most recent Sports Illustrated. By the way, two Tell Nuance, 129 ESPN Missoula. Oh, boy. Unfulfilled wishes. This one's non controversial. We don't have to spend any time. It's just very unlikely that. Athlete, professional athletes that are traveling around the country are going to be able to go do things like can't make a dream, grant a wish to a, a sick kid. Or those kids and, coming to the games. Oh, the kids coming yeah. to the games. That sucks. Yeah. Point blank period, it sucks. Yeah. I mean, a guy like John Cena, he has become a, a folk hero yeah. because he's. I think he's done 750 You know, make-a-wish wow. where he goes and sees the kid in the hospital. Yeah. He can't do it anymore. That yeah. sucks. Yeah, it does. Okay, number eight, road warriors become homebodies. This is all about scouting. Okay. This is this one, I think, will have so much of an impact that people aren't talking about. The databases for watching kids, even if they're classy high school football players in Montana, the database of video now is crazy. Everybody has video on the internet of them playing sports. So evaluating kids based on film is totally possible. But there's multiple levels of scouting departments in all pro sports, whether they're scouting the opponent or they're scouting their next prospect or they're scouting internally in their organization, whatever it might be. But to me, the most underrated part of scouting and the thing that's going to go by the wayside, this implication is that scouts will no longer be scouting in person. They'll be put into a you know John Gruden-style film room, film room yeah, yeah. where they're breaking it down. All right, well, you can watch all the film from the number one prospect in baseball in Georgia – you can see how great he hits the outside fastball and you know whatever. So much to me, and I've thought about this, and this and this is the brilliance of college football recruiting, especially in the Big Sky Conference. And this is where I think that Jeff Cho and Bobby Houck are both excellent. Is so much of it is straight up looking the kid in the face, looking at him in the eyes. How does he shake your hand? What is his personality like? Is he going to be able to react to you as a coach? There's a million good players out there. Can he fit your personality? Yeah. Just walk, watching a kid walk and watching the way he interacts with his peers. All that stuff is going to go by the wayside if all you're doing is watching the video. And I think it's going to have a negative impact on the intangible elements of sports when it comes to scouting. That's true. Here's the thing, though. The scouts, they don't scout that stuff. They just scout the 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 athlete, the sure. player, the prospect, whatever yeah. it might be. It's still going to be, I mean, it, you lose a lot. Not being in person. You just do. But you don't lose everything in Zoom calls, in phone calls, sure. in one-on-one conversations sure. with these kids. Sure. And also, I think that it's going to force a lot of coaches to be really – to be a little bit more technical, I guess I would say, in yeah. terms of what questions they ask and why. Like, what are you sure. trying to get at? They should get, you know, like a psychiatric eval – like sheet to say, okay, what what are the questions that I need to ask, and what is this kid going to tell me in answering them that he or she doesn't know that they are telling me based on the way they answer these questions? Because I can't get this feel for them the way that I could, but you still can get some feel. But it's going to be harder, and there's going to be misses, no doubt. And I think that the one, the number one thing is you can't mitigate worst case scenario. Like a guy, I mean. 
Yeah, we're even going to go down that road. There's just been some guys that have been pretty outrageous personality-wise and you know, borderline to explicitly racist, for example, where I think if you were around that person in, in person and you could feel their energy even for a moment, you'd be able to at least have some sort of red flag. Whereas if you're just watching Aubrey Huff hit a, a ball down the right field line, you're like, well, he's good enough to play for us, yeah. and he is, but doesn't necessarily mean you want him as part of your organization. Because totally. then if you just get John Rocker, sure, he throws 95. What sort of PR scandal was that for the Atlanta yeah. Braves in Georgia? I mean, it's right. terrible. Right. Uh, so that's where I, I worried about it. Okay, number nine, doctored images. This is all relating to the last dance. So I think that everybody loved the last dance. It hit at the absolute perfect time. I think it was wildly entertaining for all of us. But from a pure journalism perspective, it was not a documentary. It was Michael Jordan's version of his story. Michael Jordan got was the one who approved the camera use during the 98 season. He was the one that got to approve the final cut. If the main subject of your documentary has the final say in your documentary, it's not a documentary. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying well, that it's at least not journalism. I'm not telling. It's I'm a not documentary. It's not journalism. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not here to say that I wasn't happy it happened. I'm thrilled it happened. Loved it. But I just wonder how far down the rabbit hole we're going to go because now Tom Brady's the executive producer of the Man in the Arena. Okay, Tom Brady has enough clout. Well, that's fine. But I don't really care. I, I do care. I will watch it. But to see Tom Brady, who I already perceive as a slightly, if not extremely, narcissistic person, the documentary he produces about himself, I don't know, man. It just is a slippery slope. And then all of a sudden, when you get down to controversial characters, take a guy like Antonio Brown or take a guy like, I, I don't know, I, I, I mean, Alden Smith. At what point are you spinning your story to the point where you're influencing a massive amount of people to then justify your own poor behavior? That is a slippery slope to me. The Lance Armstrong documentary was fascinating because yeah. Lance Armstrong did give an incredibly candid interview, but he did not have final cut, and that made him look horrific. It was so bad the way it made him look. But if you're the one that gets the final cut, I just I think it's a it's a slippery slope to deify people that are um, already if if they're the ones that are perpetuating their own false narrative that it just becomes a lot of people are smart enough to discern it and and see it for what it is. A lot of people aren't. Yeah, I mean it's just Twitter. Isn't that the truth, man? I it's mean, just it's, Facebook. I yeah, know. No, it's true. Everybody's it's true. perpetuating their own narrative it's, about I mean, themselves relentlessly yeah, we, I mean, let's, we could go all the way down to the... We won't. Uh, number 10, finally. Okay. Frosty free agency. This one's cut and dry. This is simple, but this is definitely going to have an impact. I think a lot of organizations, especially non-huge market, non-major market organizations are going to have hesitancy and or truly will be handcuffed to the point where they can't sign certain deals or maybe guys won't know what the future of the league, the organization, whatever. So the three examples that were used in the Sports Illustrated article were Mookie Betts. Will he sign an extension with the Dodgers or is he going to go to the Yankees or can the Red Sox buy him back? Who knows? Those are all cities with high infection rates. Who knows what happens with the pandemic? Who knows what happens with baseball after this season with the uh, collective bargaining agreement expiring? Dak Prescott's another one. The Cowboys can afford it, so that's not the issue. It's just a matter of what the future of the NFL is. And if Dak Prescott, if they have a, a shortened season, how do you evaluate is he worth a long-term contract if you don't have the numbers to back it up? I'm not sure. But then the number one example was Giannis Antetokounmpo. What does Giannis do? 
Does he sign the Supermax? Can Milwaukee offer a Supermax? And how does this year's playoffs impact it? I think that there's a lot of questions, but I think it, it will have a huge ripple effect on rosters across pro sports. No doubt. Very good. At Gus Dutel on Twitter, I'll tell you all the greatest things about myself, how smart I am, how great-looking I am. That's obvious enough. How well-spoken I am. It's at Gus Dutel, perpetuating my own myth. Coulter, during this time where we got to be a little bit socially distanced, it's nice to know we can get out on the links and play a little bit of golf. And nobody better than Western Birch to get your round started right. That's right. Golf's been definitely one of my favorite pastimes during quarantine times. It has recently landed my new Western Birch customized golf tees. Go check out Western Birch golf tees at westernbirch.com. These classy golf tees are made of 100% white birch hardwood and printed with high quality color right here in the United States. A company founded right here in Montana. These durable wood golf tees, perfect way for you to market your business. Just think, anytime you break a tee, your brand is sitting on the tee box forever. You can hand them out to your clients, your buddies, your golf partners, whoever. Great way to earn top-of-mind awareness while also playing a sport we all love. Again, you can check out all the cool designs online at westernbirch.com. Add your logo on a 1,000 of any of their tees for $150 delivered to your door. Give them to clients, friends, watch them get impressed by the quality of the look of a simple golf tee and by your creativity. Give Western Birch the opportunity to show you what they are talking about. Email and ask for Chad at info at westernbirch.com, info at westernbirch.com, or follow on Instagram and Facebook, westernbirch.com. Is there any chance we'll ever have a final segment that's more than 60 seconds long? Um, we don't have it in us. Uh, yeah, it's because you sit there arguing about asinine points like routine not being important in sports. It's not only it's not only not important, it's a positive hindrance to success. <laughs> Tutel Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio. If you would like to uh, listen to... All of my great points and Coulter's inability to comprehend them, go to the podcast. <laughs> the podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's available all the time. It's on your favorite podcasting platforms at Apple Podcasts, all of it. And uh, it's uh, it's there thanks to Alpine Touch and Blackfoot. So when I leave this show and go become a youth sports coach, you'll want to hire me, not Ryan, because I'll make sure your kids are successful in their routine. Great. I'll make sure they're success- successful in their sport. It'll be a very nice situation. They're going to be great stretchers with Coulter. They're going to be great players with me. I, I don't know. I really had like this moment, though, where I said something to you, and I got – I think that with the things I say, like people just don't – I mean – I'm just having a real eye-opening moment here. Why? Well, all of a sudden, it, I realize it's not everyone else. It is me. It's me. What? What about you? I'll, I'll explain it after. I just don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not clear. I've well, spent my whole you, life being clear, and I'm not, or trying to be clear. Uh huh. And all it is is fog. I just. I'm a walking fog machine of words. <laughs> Well, you girls have a great Tuesday. We'll try and clarify this tomorrow. Certainly that ain't going to happen. Two Tell Nuanas, ESPN Radio. 
Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 